What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Cud Talk. Listen, we missed you last week. Um, sorry about that. But this week we are jumping right in to Matthew chapter 5 and what I believe are two of the biggest sins that the church deals with today. Um, that's not a great way to start a podcast, but listen, we are going to have a good time. I hope and I pray that we are going to have some beneficial uh, things for you today. Um, not really advice, but maybe some paths or patterns that you should follow. Listen, it's going to be a good podcast. Listen up. Chris, man, we are back. Listen, I just uh, did the intro for the podcast, and yes. if you're listening, I said, listen up. Almost like I was in a classroom, so <laughs> don't feel scalded if you're listening and my intro was a little aggressive. I'm sorry for that. We're off two weeks. We're off a week. It's, we we're actually, pumped. <clears throat> we actually yeah. were off two weeks. Um, we did one two weeks ago. Uh, it did not get published because um, my uh, I'll blame myself. Um, I washed and dried the uh usb drive uh, nice. or not the usb drive the the, the, the SD, card. SD card yeah so there's a podcast in the ether that only <laughs> me and chris shawan know about and listen it was our best one i like that one that um, was good we too. probably would have got about fifty thousand downloads on mm. that uh but nobody will ever see it but my washer um and my dryer <laughs> it got washed and dried um uh. speaking of uh just we usually try to do a little small talk to let y'all in on our lives. Um, and so you get to know Chris and Jonathan. Um, my dryer decided that uh, it no longer wanted to get hot um, last week. And so we we have been without a dryer for about a week. Uh, and my wife went to coffee with a friend the other day. And the, the friend told her, said, man, you ought to try this laundromat. And I can remember as a kid. Have you ever been to a laundromat? Yes, <laughs> I have. So I remember as a kid... When we first moved, my family moved from Kentucky uh, to South Carolina when I was in kindergarten, so about five years old, and we lived in a rental house um, that a church member let us rent, but it did not have laundry, and so we had to spend countless amounts of afternoons at a laundromat, and me and my sister were always bored to death, and so when I heard the word laundromat, I almost had like some post-traumatic stress <laughs> from thinking about the awful laundromat that we used to have to go to. But, listen to this, I didn't know this. They actually have laundromats now, kind of like dry cleaners, where you just drop your clothes off, they weigh it by the pound, they do it all for you. Fold it and everything, right? So here's the deal. I'm kind of hoping our dryer doesn't get fixed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that might be worth it. So right now... We have my in-laws. They've been doing our laundry, and they'll bring it back to us. And I told my wife the other day, I was like, man, this really isn't that terrible. Like, I feel like I'm 10 years old again. My parents are doing all my laundry. But the problem is, and the least thing I like about laundry is putting it back. And so her parents do it. And I told Ariel the other day, this is so like a dad joke. I told Ariel, I was like, the dryer's broke. I wish the putter-upper was broke. <laughs> so they would come put up our laundry for us. So, but anyway, that's life. Uh, it happens. Chris, what's been going on with you, man? And we didn't talk about this. I just want, you know, once again, people to get to know sure. us. Sure. No, hey, man. Well, our life is changing. We're prepping for my first child's graduation tomorrow night. And so um, we're just, we've grad partied last week and, Got family in this week, and so we're just we're prepping for graduation tomorrow night. So, 
Let me ask you this. So I only have, I have a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. So uh, in my mind, they are far off from college. Mm-hmm. Um, h- how does it feel? Like, she's not going that far away. Does it feel like you're, like, I don't want to say losing a child, but, but sure. what, 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 how does that feel? Well, I think that right now it's, the, it's still surreal. We're still planning it. You know, it's not happened, happened yet. And so, but I don't know. It's it's kind of a I don't know. I don't even say bittersweet. It's, it's you see her growing and maturing. You see a natural kind of transition from okay, it's time for this next stage of life for her. She's excited, uh, so we're excited for her at this point, and we're going to be excited for. Her. Um, if she were dreading this, I think it'd be a whole different experience because we would feel like you know we want to make sure she's good, she's well in this. But um, it's definitely, definitely different because she plays a huge role because she's the older. She's five years older, and so she, she kinda, can drive. She drives. She's second mom. She's second dad. And so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're doing we're doing pretty well actually with it. But um, when we move in in August, I've already told you you're gonna have to preach that Sunday. So <laughs> just be ready for that. So, so I've, yeah, I've thought about so. this before. Obviously, um, I say obviously. Maybe some parents don't operate like I do. Um, of like what will be the hardest phase of being a parent, not in the sense of your kids being disrespectful, acting up, being uh, hard to parent, but like what will be the most emotional and most hard to let go. And I feel like, and I could be wrong because once again, mine are only four and one. I haven't been in these shoes yet. I think the day I give them the car keys will be the hardest day. Like, I think sending them off to college will be not as hard as giving them keys to a car. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, <laughs> that's definitely a big transition. Um, if, if my wife were here, she would say she wouldn't even ride with my daughter as we were teaching her. I was the one teaching yeah. her. And that, there's a lot of prayer in that one, I think, because, number one, it, you do worry about them. But you worry about everybody else. Well, not just that. Like, it's, I'm thinking of, like, a trust thing. Like, sure. I'm trusting you. You Like, I remember when I was a teenager and I got car keys. Like, I'm trusting you can go literally wherever you want to go. You can do whatever you want to do. Now, Mom and Dad, we can easily take that key away. But while you have it, mm-hmm. you can make whatever decision you want to make. Yeah. And I feel like that is, like, going to be the hardest trust issue is, like, God, they're yours. Like, I, yeah, I, I hope a, I did them right. <laughs> I have a newfound respect for my parents because because of technology now, I know even if she's in the car, I know where she is. Yeah, that's true. You know, Life 360 is a beautiful thing, unpaid advertisement for that. But but my parents didn't have a clue. Where I mean, they just, if I said I was going here, that's where they believed I was going. And some most of the time I did. But so that that is kind of off the I don't know how they did it. And and so it yeah, is. That's true. I didn't think about the life three hundred and sixty. But it is a little. But it, it still is is scary because when life three hundred and sixty says they completed such and such drive and their top speed was <laughs> da, 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 the punishment <laughs> is coming when you walk in the door. Oh so. man! So, so yeah. anyway, if we have no parent, if we have people that listen that aren't parents, sorry, you had to indulge that uh, six minutes there. Sorry yeah, about that. All good. Um. Anyway, so let's jump right into it. We were in Matthew chapter five. Um. Were these the? Did we round out chapter five? No, we did not, not. yet. Um. No. Chapter five is a long chapter. It is. Um, so Jesus starts here, these six antitheses, and I say that as a, as a buzzword to make you think I'm smart. Um, 
what what it is, and and on the Sermon on the Mount, he once again for a kind of review, he takes these people that are serious about following him and don't just want him for his blessings or miracles or healing powers. They say, hey, we really want to follow what you have to teach, right? We really want to do the things you're doing. We want to be your disciple, which was a normal term to them. They would have thought about following a priest or 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 someone of that matter. Um, a scribe, they would have thought about following people that followed those people. They just walked literally behind them in their footsteps, did what they did. And so these people were those people. They wanted to do what Jesus did. They wanted him to teach them his ways. And so what he begins doing in these antitheses is he says, you have been taught this but I'm going to teach you this. And he prefaces it with what we missed last week by saying, hey, look, I'm not coming to, to take away from any law or break any law that Moses set or that, the, that was set in the Old Testament for us. Jesus said, I'm not coming to take away that. I'm, I'm telling you these things or the heart behind those laws, right? He right. says, I, I'm telling you, you've heard it said this, tradition and culture has messed up this law. Right. I come to tell you B. So you've heard A, I'm coming to tell you B, right? Um, and he does six of them, and he starts this week by talking about uh, murder and adultery. So he says, you have heard it said, I'm just going to read this uh, in uh, chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to your ancestors, do not murder. And if you have any copy of God's word, do not murder should be um, bold because it is a reference to the Old Testament law. You've heard this Old Testament law, do not murder. And whoever murders is subject to judgment. But I tell you, you've heard it said, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And then he goes on in verse 27. He says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Once again, do not commit adultery is in bold because that's Old Testament law. It's quoted from the Old Testament. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. And in these antitheses, he goes from very outward actions, excuse me, to the heart. He says, hey, these things were set up to protect you. Don't commit adultery. That's to protect you. Don't don't commit murder. <laughs> that is to protect you. But really, it's to protect your heart. Like don't mm-hmm. commit mul- murder because that is an overflow of the heart. Don't have a adu- don't commit adultery because that is an overflow of a lustful heart. And while you were preaching Sunday, um, I leaned over to my wife and I said, I think these are the two biggest sins that our culture struggles with. And I even want to say sins. Yeah, I'll say sins. Um, that both believer and non-believer struggle with, and and non-believer aren't even aware of their sins, but we should be as believers. Um, And I just think that in our culture, if you were to say, what is the main two areas of struggle in the church, Um, especially in America? um, I've never been in the church overseas, so I don't want to speak on them or on behalf of them. But I think our church... Um, both Code Memorial, but the, the the American church really struggles with being angry with one another um, and lust. And we're going to kind of go into both of those and discuss those, like we always say, like a small group uh, today. And so, Chris, 
just really simply, um, and we usually try not to give like opinions on mm-hmm. this show because we want it to be grounded. And to be honest with you, you hear enough opinions every day. Um, ours aren't any better or worse, but I do think it would be good to to talk about what is a proper way to deal with anger. Just personally, how mm-hmm. have you dealt with it? How have you seen it be beneficial in a proper way of dealing with it? What do you think would be a proper way? to how we deal with anger, because I do believe every believer struggles right now with anger. And I say right now, what led me to this is, like, what media, what the media puts out is really what people love, right? Mm -hmm. Because they, they do studies on it. They say, hey, what do people love? What are people attracted to? What will get people to come back? Because they are interested in your time. Mm-hmm. Because your time is money for them, right? And so they say, what can get people back? And when I think about TV shows and news, uh, blogs, articles, it's all, a lot of it wants to get people angry. It uses terminology. It uses graphics. It uses video. It uses loud voices that portrays anger. And so that leads me to believe this country struggles with wanting to be angry. <laughs> sure, <laughs> Otherwise, sure. the media wouldn't put that out there mm-hmm. because they want whatever you're interested in. And so what are some ways that we can deal with anger? How can we properly navigate our anger so that we don't commit the heart issue sure. behind murder, sure. that we don't fall where Jesus says, don't even be angry? Yeah. How do we do that? Well, I think... I completely agree with you 100%. I think that we live in a culture today that incites anger because what they do is is that they in, incite the anger and then they cover the reaction. And and they everybody is pushed to have a cause, something that they it's almost like equating something that stirs your spirit must make you angry in order to be viable today. Um and, but but I think if we're looking at this in in a personal standpoint, um you know, not just an opinionated kind of thing, but I think number one for me is when I find myself angry at something or about something, I have to sit back, and I don't always do this, and I don't think we all do this. We have to start start with what? why am I angry? What's the source of my anger? And I think there's a couple ways that can go. Number one, I think that we get angry when when something affects us from the selfish side of things, when it doesn't go our way what we think is right. It is it is offensive to me, not because it's wrong, but because it's not what I want. That's not what I want to hear. It's not what I want to be told. It's not, I don't agree with it, not on even the spiritual level. Uh, I mean, we get angry at, at, at athletic events, at called third strikes, foul or no foul. I mean, you know, if my, if the, my interest is in any way inhibited, then I can respond angrily to that. So if it's a selfish, if, if anger is, is comes from a selfish sort of things, I think we deal with that another way. I think we have to have a have something that keeps our perspective. You know, my kids are all from age 7 to 17, and some of the nastiest anger I've ever seen are at 6U baseball games. I mean, you know, we're thinking 6-year-olds are going to make every play, and, and an umpire who gets paid, a little bit of money is going to make every call. Uh, it's just, you know, we, we, we have this desire. We have to win. We have to be right. And if it goes against those things, then, you know, that's a, a very selfish anger. So we got we have to have something 
somebody, some way that keeps perspective. You know, I think we have to, when we go up to those fields, remember these are six-year-old kids. Uh, I think a lot of the anger that we see in a lot of folks is that we are, we are, we are, so many people are so discontented in their life that they live so vicariously through everyone else's joys, uh, everyone else's successes, that when a kid strikes out, they're striking out. Or, you know, it's just a, our perspective is wrong and it reveals our hearts. It does reveal our heart, which is why I think that, you know, for those of us like myself who are passionate about those kind of things, like I can get really into it. I cheer on my kids to get it. But, but anyway, there's a selfish nature to that in one side. I think the other way though, is um, when we're identifying our anger as believers is our anger. Are we angry at something that is not offensive just to us, but to God? Is 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 our is is it offensive to to a a core belief about who God is, um, and I think that's where so much of our cultural anger comes right now, even in the body of Christ as a whole, is because it's so politically charged that that our belief, we feel some as, as Christians, you know, everybody's attacking what we believe, and we get angry about those things, and and so I think there's a difference in those kinds of angers. But the key point is is how we handle and how we deal with it. What's the reaction of that anger? You know, we're biblically told, hey. Anger is not necessarily a bad thing. Jesus doesn't want us to be angry, but if we are angry, we can't sin in it. And so, again, if we're, we're angry for selfish reasons, we we got to deal with that. We have to have perspective. We've got to have some reality come into our life, whether it's through people just casually reminding us, hey, you know, this is not that big a deal. You know, this is, but if it's offensive to us in our spirit, then we, then, then that's when we understand we, you know, we got to get into the word. We got to see what the word says about the dangers of anger, how it damages things. So I think that we, we identify its source and, and when we figure out why we're so angry at, you know, it could be completely, it could be the, the dumbest thing in the world, or it could be something that's pointing to a very, a, a very place in our life spirits that's lacking. And if that's the case, then we need to bolster and foster that through the word, through prayer, through accountability, through relationships with one another. Yeah. <clears throat> um, when Jesus goes on here, he says, you know, don't be angry with your brother or sister. Um, I'm going to sound like a broken record for just a second. Um, it may have been the last podcast we did or even the one before that. Um, we were talking about being humble. Um, and also being a peacemaker. Um, I think it was under being a peacemaker. Um, most times when I myself am angry at someone, it's because I'm very prideful, um, and I think of them very little. Mm-hmm. Um, a great way to avoid being angry with one another is, and we see this in First Corinthians, um, is to think and believe all things about them. Mm-hmm. Believe they're coming from a good place. Um, let's say, especially in the church, um, let's say you really disagree with somebody. Try to level with them and see, okay, where are they coming Mm -hmm. from? Um, Because 90% of the time, they're not coming from a malicious place just to make you angry. Um, Or their their actions may not be coming from a good place, but it may be because they're hurting, or it may be because their home life isn't great, or it may be because they're an angry person in and of themselves. And anger and anger will never make peace, right? And so I do think a good way uh, to deal with personal anger is to think better about people and and remind yourself who you are. 
Like, you are not perfect. I'm not perfect. Right. So why am I holding these people to standards of perfection? Um, you mentioned, and I'm really talking about people in the church there, but you mentioned the, the baseball umpire. Like, you're holding him to a standard of perfection that you yourself can't achieve, that your son or daughter out there is not achieving. I mean, success for a baseball player is getting a hit every third try. Exactly. But yet you expect an umpire to get to be bad a thousand. Exactly. You expect right. him to get every strike, right. not every third strike. Right. And so you see, we set expectations on people that we don't have of ourselves, mm-hmm. and that usually leads us to an angry place. Um, most times when I'm angry, it's always with a pointer with my pointer finger stuck out. You didn't do this. You should have done this. Why is this not happening? And I'm not thinking two things. One, I'm not thinking the best of them. I think mm-hmm. they're malicious. I think they're lazy. I think they're stupid. But then I forget who I am, that sometimes I can be malicious. Sometimes sure. I'm stupid. Sometimes I can be lazy. And it's always when we operate under the, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to think the best of you, and I know you're not perfect because I'm not. For instance, <coughs> um, some sometimes just I'll, I'll get personal here. Sometimes the most angry I get with my children, especially my son, my one year old, she's perfect. Um, there you go. <laughs> but but no, that they both when they the most frustrated I get with them is oftentimes when they're frustrated. Right. So I can bat their frustration with my frustration. I'm like, man, why are they getting so emotional? Why are they being so so uh, disobedient? Why are they yelling? And then I'm like, wait a second, I'm yelling. I'm frustrated. I'm being disobedient. And a great way to keep from being angry uh, is carrying a mirror, just thinking, sure. looking at yourself and saying, who am I? But also thinking the best of other people. Yeah. Um, can I throw something in yeah, real quick on yeah, this? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I don't, I'm not going to throw out the big spoiler here, but 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 right now reading a book by Paul David Tripp about parenting. And one of the, the most, I think, powerful statements that he has made thus far in me in reading that book is he's talking about the relationship between parents and, and their children and what you're talking about, the frustrations that were there. And he says that. He says that the, that probably the the greatest frustration that we have as as parents when we become frustrated with our children is that we do not like to admit that we're not as different as them as we think we are that what we are frustrated with them about and their struggle is probably what we're struggling with on an adult level and that's that's humbling that really is to step back and be like you know why can't you get this right why why did you think this why did you do this well I'm frustrated with you because I can probably be frustrated with myself about the same thing. And I think talking about how that vision of seeing ourselves in the right lens is crucial to that. I mean, that, and that's a very humbling thought. It really is. We don't have the answers all the time. So. Um, one other question. Oh, oh man, we got to get moving. Let's go. Um, we'll move on to the next one. Um, when it talks about um, in verse 27, <laughs> when Jesus says, um, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So we obviously know, don't don't cheat on your spouse, right? Jesus says, hey, don't even look at women lustfully. And so what led me to think that this is one of the greatest sins <clears throat> in our culture now? Once again, what do people take in? What, what does media show? What do people produce? I just want to read you some stats. Um, 
that was put out by the Barna Group, um, which is a Christian research company. Um, this was in 2022. Um, 68% of church-going men view pornography. So that is if you sit down in a room of three people, two of them two are actively viewing pornography. Okay? Um, that, that right there is is pretty a pretty scary stat. I'm going to read you some more stats. Uh, the porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. It is also more than the revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. Um, 70% of youth pastors report that they've had at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with pornography the last 12 months. That, that That's 70% that actually had somebody tell them. Tell them. And there's a lot more that may not. 59% of pastors say that married men seek their help for porn use. That's, that's 59%. There's probably another 30 that don't. That don't. They, right, yeah, <laughs> um, they don't. 30, and this is this just isn't a male issue. 33% of women age 25 and under search for porn at least once a month. Mm. 87% of Christian women said that they have watched porn. And so when I read those stats, when I see those numbers... Last one, I'll read this one. Over 40 million Americans are regular visitors of porn sites. So when I read those stats and I see those numbers, I think, yeah, we got a problem. Um, mm-hmm. This is one of the biggest areas of sin is lust. Um, and so I just really feel burdened because, once again, only 59% of married men seek their pastor's help. And so if they're not going to seek our help, and then we see numbers like 68% of our congregation, you know, the male congregation mm-hmm. is viewing it then we need to help them without them asking for help. And so I just want to talk real quickly, what are some ways to protect ourselves? What are some ways, Chris, to protect yourself from lustful desires towards someone other than your spouse? Um, In a resource that you use every week and that I, I use to go along with the passage you're going through and that we have available in our resource center, Christ Centered Exposition, they have these questions after each chapter. <laughs> and the first one under this was, uh, why is it, why do people commit adultery? <laughs> I was like, what? what? <laughs> like, that's pretty simple. Like, people are attracted to people. That's why they commit adultery. Right. And so I don't think that, the, and so I say that to say, like, everyone struggles with this. Mm-hmm. Everyone. And not just pornography. I read those because I think that is a huge struggle. But just if you don't even struggle with pornography, you still struggle with lusting after someone that's not your spouse. And so what are some ways maybe you've done it personally or the ways that our listeners can protect themselves from lustful desires? Sure. Well, and I mean, I think, and I don't want to be overstating the obvious here, but again, you know, your engagement in the word has got to be number one. You've got to be filling your mind and thoughts with things other than these things. The personal accountability that you have with someone else, you've got to have someone in your, li- in your life that's holding you accountable to that. But when you read these stats, what you're finding is that people aren't doing that. They're, it's just, it's hidden. It's this thing that's hidden. And so I think that, you know. I do think porn is such an issue because you see, well, it doesn't hurt anyone. Sure. I can do it very privately private. and no one knows. You think about yeah. all other addictions 
they're really seen. Like if you're oh, addicted, sure. if you're addicted to spending money, um, you're gonna be broke. Yeah. Soon. yeah if yeah. you're addicted to alcohol, people are gonna smell it on you. They're gonna yeah. see you drunk. If you're addicted to drugs, you're gonna have physical markers on your it. body. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But porn. Nobody ever has to know. No, yeah, right. Nobody has to know. And so I think that that accountability is important. Yeah. But also, if you're if you're <laughs> if you're fearful of saying, how can I tell somebody? It's so embarrassing. Sure. It's going to ruin my marriage. Well, there's another stat that says, three hundred percent. If you if you view pornography, it increases marital infidelity by more than three hundred percent. You're three hundred percent more likely. To actually hurt your wife and cheat on your spouse if you're viewing pornography. So you may say it won't hurt anybody. Stats right. say there's a three hundred percent chance you you gonna you gonna yeah. it's gonna happen. Well, you know, in in one of those commentaries, um, Sinclair Ferguson asked the question to try to shift the mindset, is that here's here's the thing, it's like the mindset of, of going after this is 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 I'm missing something or I'm lacking something. So therefore I'm pursuing things like pornography or something to fill this void that I have. He asks to flip it on the other side, and he says, what do you gain by abandoning it? And I think that we have to to see that perspective of things because it's not a victimless kind of thing. It's going, it will find itself out. It will be exposed at some point, and then the consequence comes over it. So there are ways like that personally that, that I protect against this. Like so, my, my, so, go ahead. So you mentioned uh, accountability. Yeah. Scripture reading. Sure, Sorry. absolutely. And I, think, and I think you need to look at external things. that Because we are in such a world right now, everything is so media-driven. We were laughing about it this morning. We have a CD in the office. And when's the last time we've seen a CD? Everything is digital. Everything is streamed. So you've got to put safeguards in. And you need to put stuff that works in your life that keeps you from those things. My family, we use Covenant Eyes. Every device we have has Covenant Eyes on it. It streams and flags anything and everything that comes through our internet, on our TVs, on our everything. So Covenant Eyes, for those of you uh, that are listening, um, if you do struggle with any type of pornography use, um, write this down. Covenant Eyes, uh, it costs $18.18 a month. Yes. Um, and what it does is you put it on your devices, like I have it on my laptop that I'm looking at right now. <clears throat> it's on my cell phone. Um, and anything that, uh, is mildly inappropriate, um, will get sent to your accountability partner. Mm -hmm. You set it up for them to have email addresses, um, and it'll send them a flag and it'll say, Hey, this is what this person is viewing. Um, and I mean, it is, it is sensitive. Yes. It um, is. It is, I was yeah. signing our, I was looking up, uh, kids camp, uh, a few years ago on my computer uh, and my wife texted me, and she was like, hey, I just got a Covenant Eyes notification. Um, and what it does is it sent her. And so you don't have to worry yourself for being tempted from pornography. You say, hey, I'm holding this person accountable. Accountable. What if it sends me what they're looking at? It won't. It won't. It's very <laughs> pixelated. Yeah. Um, and it says, hey, they viewed something inappropriate. But anyway, it sent my wife. It was like, hey, he looked up kids camp. <laughs> and, like, it was like, hey, you need to be careful. Um, even on my phone, like, uh, like if somebody sends me a picture of them at mm -hmm. the beach and, like, their their toes in the sand and like half their thigh like like one of my buddies that has like horribly hairy legs it'll send it to my wife and it's like hey be careful this may be right. and so that is a really good resource mm -hmm. to hold yourself accountable yeah yeah it's not so much hey my wife's gonna see this and then we're gonna talk it it's when I'm 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 almost fearful to even go to any of that because yeah. I'm like my wife will know that I'm here and she'll yeah. she'll think well that may hurt her. 
right? And so Covenant Eyes is a very good resource if you yeah. are currently struggling with uh, pornography or any type of lust yeah. via the internet. And I think too that that it's not just again this is a personal thing that we if you are struggling with that to go through, but you also need to make provisions to protect your family as well. I mean, my kids, it's it's on all of their devices. And the thing that I love about it is is you can't take it off. Um, like who like my wife is my accountability partner. She's the only one who knows. I don't even know her code as an administrator to go do those things. I don't want to know it, but there are times of panic. And, and, and on Covenant Eyes, I think it's really funny. Have you ever had to use the panic button? Mm-mm. Okay, there's a panic button. When um, if you search something mistakenly and it comes up and something comes up bad, and you there is a Covenant Eyes panic button that you can shoot on the bottom. That you hit that panic button, it will shut your web browser down and send a message. They've hit the panic button. This was not meant to be malicious, but they will get a message, and it will it, it will not work until they reinstate it. Yeah, but because I think because there are you know you actually yeah. like it, it happens and it's going to happen. It happened in the office to us a couple of weeks ago. An email came to our administrative assistant that was a that was a hack email. It's going to happen, but you got to make things to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you have, and you're like, man, eighteen dollars a month, man, is it worth losing your spouse? <laughs> Netflix is, it worth is eighteen dollars a yeah, month. Yeah, I mean, and it's you know probably needs more guards on it yeah. than anything. So, uh, but I do think that this is you know it's such a, a predominant problem right now because culture pushes you to those things so i'll say another thing that'll really help you protect yourself um is and this is gonna sound like yeah i I know what you're gonna think if you're listening to this and struggle you're gonna say okay that sounds like a great idea but i can't do that somebody else can um talk to your spouse about it (laughs) just just tell them say hey man i really struggle um a uh, if you have, if you're a male and have a female spouse, <clears throat> your female spouse probably already knows that you struggle with it. Mm-hmm. You're a man, okay? Right. She remembers you from when you were dating, okay? <laughs> right. um, yeah. She knows that you struggle with it. What you do when you tell her, "Hey, I struggle with this," is you com- you communicate to her, "I love you enough that I don't want to take any further steps," mm-hmm. and that right there is gracious. And I pray that she will receive that with grace and see that as my husband loves me enough and is committed to me enough Mm -hmm. that he wants to share this issue with me so that I can walk this road with him. But also, what that does is then she becomes your accountability. When you share that with her, hey, I, I struggle with this, then when you are scrolling through Netflix to find a movie and it says on there, Warnings for language and nudity. She says, "Hey, we're not going to watch we're that not watching one." That, yeah. um, she helps you with that. She says, "Hey, I'm going to make sure that I'm not going to show him a picture of this bathing suit I want to buy online because a woman is modeling it." I, she, she'll start to protect you. Um, I pray that she is not angry with you um, and sees that. Hey, he's telling me this because he loves me enough. He's not hiding it from yeah. me. So tell your spouse. I can't speak so much on the women's side um, because I'm not one. (laughs) Um, uh, But I would advise you to, if you struggle with pornography as a female, tell your spouse. Let them help you. Let them love you. Hopefully they'll see it the same way a female would, that you love them enough to protect them. And so, hey, I hope you guys um, took something away from today's podcast. It's been a little heavier of a podcast, but I do believe it is two things that we struggle with 
as a society. Um, the good news is um, that Jesus gives us these demands, but he also, his blood covers us for when we fail, but his strength can help us persevere. So, hey, thank you guys for listening. We'll see y'all next week.